The Wall Street Journal came out with an article. Vince McMahon is trying to make a comeback to WWE, kind of a follow-up on an installment that the Wall Street Journal put out about a month ago or so, floating the idea that, that, that Vince was, according to people familiar with the situation, Vince was trying to make a comeback at WWE. So the article says that Vince told the company that he's electing himself, George Berrios, and Michelle Wilson to the board, according to people familiar with the matter. For longtime WrestleMics listeners, you will know that George Barrios and Michelle Wilson are the former co-presidents who were fired by Vince in January 2020, coinciding with the timing of when Vince decided to license the network content rather than continue to sell it direct to consumer. The move to reinstate Vince McMahon, which the board has previously rebuffed, will require three current directors to vacate their positions. It's not clear where that's going to leave Stephanie McMahon and Nick Khan, who are the current co-CEOs. Stephanie McMahon is the current chairman of the board. Uh, Vince sent a letter to WB's board of directors in late December saying he wished to return to the company and lead a strategic review process. Vince believes that there's a narrow window to sell the company because of the timing of WWE's media rights deal, uh, presumably before they renew and have even more expensive rights fees. Right now, the, the size of the company, the value of the company, it's probably still manageable. It's more manageable now before rights go up to, for an acquirer to buy the company. The board responded to his letter saying it was prepared to start a review process, presumably to sell the company, would welcome him working with them. Because Vince is the controlling shareholder, because he owns 80% of the votes, he has to approve of any sale. So they're welcoming him, cooperating with them. The board, though, agreed unanimously. So every member of the board of directors, there's 11 of them or so, including Stephanie McMahon, Nick Khan, Paul Levesque, the board unanimously agreed that Vince's return would not be in shareholders' best interest, despite him wanting to come back. The board asked to confirm his commitment to repay the expenses that were related to the investigations, the investigation into the allegations of sexual misconduct by himself and John Laurinaitis. WWE has said in, in previous earnings calls and earnings reports and other documents that Vince would repay the company for the expenses related to the investigation. The board asked him to confirm his commitment to pay those expenses and that he agree that he not return to the company during government probes is the language that the Wall Street Journal report uses. Government probes, which one would think are still ongoing, what the Wall Street Journal believes are still ongoing based on this report. We haven't heard that previous to this, though, that those reports were still ongoing. A graphic appears at Steph McMahon that reads, About eight months ago, I took a leave of absence and within a few weeks unexpectedly had the opportunity of a lifetime. I had the privilege to return as the co-CEO and chairwoman of the board of WWE. I cannot put into words how proud I am to have led what I consider to be the greatest company in the world, working alongside a remarkable leadership team and one of the strongest executives I've known in my co-CEO, Nick Khan. Our founder, Vince McMahon, has returned as executive chair and is leading an exciting process regarding strategic alternatives. And with Nick's leadership and Paul Triple H Levesque as chief content officer, I'm confident WWE is in a perfect place to continue to provide unparalleled creative content and drive maximum value for shareholders. WWE is in such a strong position that I have decided to return to my leave and take it one step further with my official resignation. I look forward to cheering on WWE from the other side of the business where I started when I was a little kid as a pure fan. I will always remain dedicated to WWE. I truly love our company, our employees, our superstars, and our fans, and I'm grateful to all of our partners. Thank you for everything. Then, now, forever, together, Steph. 
and she, she sent a very similar message to employees in an all employees email, uh, just just basically the same wording, but all, but just adding WWE is the success that it is because of your hard work. You are the unsung heroes, no matter your position. Your work contributes to our mission and makes a difference in people's lives. Thank you for your faith and trust. It has been an honor to work alongside you. We saw something similar on May nineteenth when she announced her temporary leave of absence, but now. It, just to take her words at face value, WWE is doing so well. It is so assured to, to do great from here on out that sh- she's comfortable uh, leaving permanently. That's it. There is nothing more to do. That this is, this is such a stable company that I am going to step away completely. Now, juxtapose that with just days prior when there was a, an all-employee meeting held by the existing executives and for the full transcript of this uh, brandon thurston has this up at russellnomics.com some very important supplemental reading Um, but this is an excerpt from stephanie's address to the employees the management structure stays the same we don't we don't want there to be obviously there's going to be some animosity or not animosity angst natural emotions that you might feel. And we want to make sure that we're on top of this and we're communicating with you and everyone has all the information that they need. So again, thank you to all of you. This is an, this is an exciting time. It shouldn't be a scary time. It's an exciting time for WWE. Our founder is back on the board and is going to help lead this process. And thank you to all of you. It's an exciting way to kick off 2023. Very right. interesting change of just what occurred This weekend, that goes from that speech to employees, whether an exit strategy was already um, in place, um, that Stephanie knew what was coming, or if this was something that came about in a rather rapid fashion that leads to Tuesday's release of Stephanie McMahon stepping down. And unlike May, Brandon, where I think there was still some thought of, is this truly the end of Stephanie and the company? You can obviously never say never, but this one feels much more permanent in the the beyond being you know still having her her shares um like this seems much more like a a divestment of stephanie mcmahon in terms of a of an active role with with this company and looking to a post wwe career yeah it it certainly sounds permanent i i I would add that the meeting they had for all employees on friday also involved frank riddick uh who is the the chief financial officer and president of wwe and nick khan who people are probably familiar with um who is now the lone ceo but the sole CEO of WWE. Um, and their, their message was very much that everything day to day is staying the same. Uh, they, they named specifically that Nick and Frank and Stephanie and Paul and Kevin Dunn are not changing their positions. They're not out of their positions. They're still there. And then, and then we have, you know, several days later, Stephanie is gone permanently. I mean, I view it in the, in the context of when she took her leave in, in May before the public knew about the investigation into the misconduct of Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis. She is a member of the board of directors. Presumably, she would have been aware of the investigation. When Vince temporarily stepped down, it was Stephanie stepping into into his place as uh, interim CEO and interim chairwoman. Uh, and now that Vince has made his comeback, at least to the board, now that he has made his return to the company in some capacity... Several days later, she's right back out again, which I don't know, point, points to me that maybe there are there are at least professional issues and, and differences between Stephanie and Vince, but I don't know. Before I conclude, I want to reiterate just how excited I am and how much fun I am having in my role as chief content officer. And I also want to add that having Vince around has been great. I, and I will tell you this, it has allowed me 
and, and, and it'll allow me to speak for our entire creative team, that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. So having him back and involved, even at just the board level, comes with his incredible insight, and he is a tremendous asset to this company. In the back. Hi, Brandon Thurston, uh, WrestleNomics. I was Brandon. wondering your thoughts on a potential WWE sale. Is that something that you were in favor of before Vince made his return in January, and is that something you're in favor of now? Depends on, depends on who's buying, I suppose, what the offer is, what the outcome is. Um, I stay out of it to me. Um, and that's not, not a cop-out answer. I have the greatest gig in the world. I helped tonight in some small way create the magic we did here tonight. And to me, it's the best gig on the planet. As long as we get to do this, as long as we get to create it the way we get to create it, as long as we get to do our jobs and we get to, to go out there and put our passion on display, as long as our talent are allowed to put their passion on display and do what we do, I'm good. I'm good. It, it... So with that, I'll now open it up to questions. And uh, Osman, if you want to get it out of the way, you want to just go st- <laughs> straight st- straight to the elephant in the room. Go ahead. Thank you. Hi, uh, Paul. Congratulations. Fantastic show. Thank you. Nick Hausman, House of Wrestling. Like I said to, to Paul and Roman, obviously big news broke earlier today or a report. I shouldn't say news saying tomorrow, potentially a big announcement could come that WWE is being acquired by Endeavor merging you with UFC. Any chance you can confirm or comment on that report? Nope. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, I'm, I'm, man, I'm here to talk about WrestleMania, but I want to get it off the table. So uh, I want to talk about WrestleMania because it was epic, and I don't think that in I don't think today we need to talk about anything past today. Um, I can promise you this: no matter, um, no matter what happens here, WWE is going nowhere, right? Um, we do what we do, and just like it says uh, when you tune in each week, then now forever together. We're not going anywhere. We're just getting started. All right. Thank you all very much. Thank you all for joining us today. This morning, we announced that we have signed an agreement to form a new publicly traded company consisting of two iconic global brands, UFC and WWE. Upon close, which is expected in late 2023, Endeavor will hold a 51% controlling interest in the new company. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to bring together two leading pure-play sports and entertainment companies that operate in the most attractive parts of the media ecosystem. I mean, Ari, Endeavor was mentioned throughout this entire process, and now you're the last person standing. Why the WWE? He decided not to body slam me. (laughs) But, um, you know, we brought together in a um, pure-play UFC and the WWE into a new publicly traded company. Um, It's very rare to get iconic brands like the UFC and the WWE uh, together. Um, Together, I mean, individually, they're incredible assets. Together with the flywheel of Endeavor, which we've built, I think makes them unicorns. Let me say it another way. This is the biggest thing Ari Emanuel and Vince McMahon have ever done. Yeah. Combining forces like this is there's nothing like this. There's never been anything like this. People have been talking about this for a long time. There were a lot of other 
suitors. Sure, they here. were. You know, but Ari really the synergies. Everyone was was very interested in us, and I appreciate that. But the synergies that Ari brings, totally different than everyone else. So the Saudis were said to be interested. Sure. Liberty yes. said to be interested, mm-hmm. and others. Yes. And you had your pick. Yes. And Endeavor and Zoom, the place. Right. Many doubted we would ever see this day, that you would ever be willing to sell a controlling stake in right. your company. Right. You are the WWE, and the WWE is you. So why? Uh, it's, it, it's the right time. It's the right time to do the right thing. And it's the next evolution of WWE. I can't help but wonder, and I have to ask you, had the scandal not happened, right. would we be sitting here today? Absolutely. Why? Because it makes sense. You take nothing's ever happened like this before. And again, I'm always looking what's best for our stockholders, what's best for the company. This is the best thing that's happened in a long, long time. All of the WrestleManias combined have been 39, including uh, tomorrow. Um, does it really equal to the magnitude of, of what we will do together? Did that event push you towards this day faster than you thought you'd ever be here? Um, no, it didn't really in and of itself, no. But uh, it's great that we can combine all of this news together at the same time. You know, I, I was talking to him when we didn't go public the first time. He and I started talking about we should be combined, right? I've, I've, been, in, I've been in business with him actually for 23 years, seeing what he's done. Like I was in business with UFC for a long, long time. And so I always thought about this combination, especially with the Endeavor flywheel that we could add on to it and what that could become. What I thought was interesting, Ari, is that Vince is going to be the executive chairman of the new company. Right. That implies that he is going to have a say. Well, I would have said the following. I would have body slammed him if he thought he was going to (laughs) leave. Because as I said to you before, here's a man who is seen around the corners at every beat over the last 40 years of this business and has a vision for where this business, way before a lot of people see it, him now being able to utilize what we have built in our flywheel, I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I got Vince McMahon, a visionary that sees around corner. I got Dana White and what we've built. That's pretty unstoppable. So you wanted him to stay? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God. Did he have to convince you to stay? Uh, not that much. Would you have been content? I love what I do. I've loved building WWE all my life. It's my passion. And to have an opportunity to have it grow like this in an exponential standpoint is like, can't be better than that. It's an interesting plot twist because (laughs) not a lot of people saw this coming. In fact, your own CEO, Nick Khan, told our David Faber just back in February, quote, Vince has declared to the board, to me, to other upper management, he is 100% open to a transaction where he's not included in the company moving forward. Sure. You were ready to walk away? Absolutely. I wasn't going to let him. Vince, do yeah. you plan to be as involved as you have in the past on the creative side? Um, yes and no. Uh, on a higher level, yes. Uh, and the weeds, which I always love to get in the weeds in the past. No, can't do that. Before I let you go, I want to ask you specifically about how I want to ask you about how you think about your legacy, given where you took this company, what's happened in the last year, the regrets you may have as a result of all that, and how you think your legacy will 
and your story will be told. Well, let me just say it, I've made mistakes, obviously, you know, both personally and professionally through my 50-year career. I've owned up to every single one of them and then moved on. I'm not sure, you know, the legacy stuff, I'm not going to write it. So I don't know. Um, I want to say it's someone who had an extraordinary amount of fun, great passion for what they did, and wound up doing the biggest deal he's ever done in his life. The big story broken on Sunday by our guest today, CNBC media reporter Alex Sherman, who has been so kind to take time out of his vacation, no less, this week uh, to chat with us about this, uh, this seismic deal for Endeavor, WWE, and the UFC. If we were to be talking to you early March, what was sort of your lay of the land of the front runners uh, when, when it came to the sale talks of WWE and where Endeavor was and what, once they got closer to the goal line in the ensuing weeks? I always thought Endeavor was one of the front runners. Um, that was, you know, mostly based on what I was told, really. But logic also. I mean, you figured that Endeavor had had quite a bit of success uh, owning UFC. This is a property that it bought for four billion dollars or so. Uh, now, in this deal, they value UFC around twelve billion dollars. So that gives you uh, an indication of of the value creation that the UFC has had under Endeavor's ownership. The main reason I thought Endeavor made a lot of sense was I figured if any deal happened, it would probably include Vince McMahon staying with the company, even though he came out publicly and said, I'm willing to walk. Uh, You know, I was told by people familiar with the matter that McMahon always wanted to stay with the company. He said that, of course, because A, you have to say that, B, you never know what the deal is. And, you know, for shareholder purposes, you you can't kind of walk into a sale and say, like, look, I won't take the highest bid because I refuse to leave. Um, but clearly, this was WWE is his life. It's his baby. He did. Uh, he came back to the company. So I figured Endeavor, given the fact that it was owned by Ari Emanuel and that they already had a structure in place where Dana White stayed with the UFC, would be a logical home where they could probably figure out a way to keep McMahon involved in the business. And that's exactly what we saw. So uh, the one thing I would say is that at the time, I thought some of the big media companies might be interested. Comcast, Disney, Fox, of course, Comcast and Disney already have rights deals in place with the WWE. Over the course of the past several months, what I think I realized is that uh, that interest maybe wasn't there. Um, I don't think Comcast was particularly interested. I don't think Disney was ever interested. I don't have as firm of a read on Fox, but clearly not as interested as Endeavor. Yeah, I can see why it wouldn't fit for Fox with Fox being a smaller company these days, but you know, even you know, years ago, thinking about if if W was ever to be acquired, Comcast slash NBCU made a lot of sense because uh, because NBCU is so invested in W programming with Raw, with the network content and NXT and, and some other programming. So, do you have any idea of why uh, NBCU Comcast wasn't that interested? Yeah, one may be McMahon um, and his future involvement. Uh, I don't really know how that would fit. Comcast is, you know by and large, a, a, a conservative cable company at heart. The idea that, you know, adding McMahon to the mix may not have worked. Um, but I think the bigger idea about why that was not a fit was uh, Comcast probably has one big shot here from a merger perspective. Uh, this is not a great time for media mergers in the sense that the general valuation of the big media companies has come down quite a bit from what it was, say, in January of last year or before. This the, the, the year 2022, we saw a major devaluing of all of the l- large media companies. 
So the idea that it would spring for a $9 billion acquisition here, you know, Comcast has a couple other things I think that it, it needs to figure out what it wants to do with any dry powder it has. Maybe it wants to buy Hulu from Disney, the 66% of Hulu that Disney owns, which Bob Iger has come out and said he would potentially be willing to sell. That would be a $20 billion deal or so if it happened. And of course, everybody speculates that a year from now, perhaps NBC Universal and Warner Brothers Discovery would come together to make a bigger company. And maybe that's what Brian Roberts wants to do. So in the list of priorities of those three deals, I would put WWE as a long third. Um, so I feel like the company probably just realized, like, look, if we have one big shot at a big deal here, this isn't the deal we want to do. And and acquiring WWE would just make it more complicated to do those deals, you think? Yeah, they just, I mean, it, it would be it would be money that they wouldn't have anymore because they probably wouldn't have done some sort of equity deal. An equity deal makes a lot of sense with this structure with Endeavor because it's a new company, UFC and WWE combined. But handing Vince McMahon a lot of Comcast stock, I'm not really sure uh, McMahon would want that. Uh, and, 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 and I'm not really sure that that makes a lot of sense for Comcast because it kind of ties McMahon to the company for a while. Uh, so if it wasn't that, it would have to have been a cash deal. And, you know, I'm not sure investors would have loved the idea of, of Comcast spending $9 billion in cash or whatever on WWE. It's just, you know, from a balance sheet standpoint, that's probably not the best use of the company's money. So how volatile a figure was Vince McMahon in this this whole run up? Of course, like the, the scandal of the sexual misconduct allegations were front and center uh, throughout all of this. But, you know, he has navigated his way back to a very significant uh, power position within the company. Uh, at the end of the year, there was it is not as though the WWE board of directors just instantly wrapped their arms around Vince. Like there was certainly a contention there. But in the, the sales talks, like it seems Ari Emanuel, like it was vital that Vince be part of this deal. Was he an outlier in that sense versus others where Vince is, was going to play a big factor, I think, in a lot of these uh, bidders? Well, uh, good question. I don't know the full answer to that uh, at this stage. Um, I may know more about that as the days go by in terms of just how much uh, of an outlier he was in terms of any other bidders. Because to be honest, I don't have a great sense even yet um, of who exactly was around the table at the end. The WWE uh, CEO now, Nick Khan, came out in the days before the sale and said there was a robust interest in buying WWE. Uh, at this point, other than Nick's word, I can't verify that. Um, mm -hmm. I will try to in the coming days to figure out who exactly was there at the end and how much or how little of a factor was McMahon uh, in uh, you know playing into the role of where WWE went, uh, but how, that said, there's no denying the fact that McMahon was out of the company, bullied his way back into the company, and now is going to play a major role moving forward. So, like you know, he comes out a winner in this in that sense, right? He he it it looked as though his days may be numbered there, and now not only are his days not numbered. But Ari Emanuel, again, publicly called him basically the key man of this deal, which is what WWE has publicly said, even in all of their business filings for the last decade plus. Like Vince McMahon is one of one from a creative standpoint, from a visionary standpoint. That all seemed to trickle away. And certainly in the wrestling community, there has been a lot of chatter about how Triple H 
you know, kind of does the the creative in a way that maybe moves the ball forward, takes WWE in a better direction than Vince McMahon did. Um, McMahon said on CNBC yesterday that he will not get in the weeds again in creative. So theoretically, that that relationship uh, uh, where Paul Levesque will continue to run this creative exists. Now, does anyone fully believe that Vince McMahon will not, you know, get in the weeds and creative in this new structure? Like, I, according to reports look, we heard from last night, from last night's Raw, he was very involved in, in running running creative last night. I uh, mean, he's back with the company now. So, like, again, look, I again, this is where the logic kicks in, right? He's the majority owner of the company in the previous standpoint. He's executive chairman of the new combined company. Uh, he he made a deal specifically to stay at the company. The idea that he's going to relax at a beach for the next, you know, X amount of years never made any sense. And I certainly don't think it, that's going to be something that logically makes sense moving forward. Yeah, I just hearing from someone directly there in, in the midst of this last night, it, it certainly seemed that last night show Vince was definitely getting the gardening gloves on, at least uh, last night for the night after uh, WrestleMania. But it it will remain to be seen. That's a very interesting dynamic now moving forward with Vince McMahon and his son-in-law, Paul, Paul Levesque, at, at a time when I would say that overall fan interest has been very high and it's been reflected in their television numbers being up year over year with live attendance. They have been on a very hot streak going into WrestleMania, and now it's sort of the uh, the, the the come down you naturally get after WrestleMania. But I think um, fans are going to be having their microscopes out now, analyzing the programming and seeing any uh, tonal shifts th- that we see from it. So I, I was wondering, with um, there's been some some. Uh, talk in public of late about uh, conflict between you know, whether that's uh, CM Punk's issues with with various people. Uh, so I was, I was wondering, as a you know, as the lead executive and as a manager of talent, what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned over the last four years about how to manage wrestling talent? I think there's a lot of things from when I got into the business to today. I mean, I've learned so many things. I, certainly, there's no benchmarking for getting into this. We launched a challenger promotion for which there was real no direct precedent. It had been a long time since anybody operated in the market conditions uh, we were trying to operate under. And, and frankly, in this era of social media and digital, it had never been done before. And it, we're still growing and, and learning from uh, things to this day. And I, I have great conversations every day that help me try to run the business better than the day before or the week before that and i think AEW is in a really strong place and now roh too both companies in a, in a really strong place uh thanks to the great wrestlers and the great wrestling fans and i believe the shows for both companies have been really great i think AEW the tv has been really great episodes and you know the fan feedback and everything we get back as far as the, the response from our fans has told us that like the people who watch the show feel like it's been really strong lately and Revolution was one of our best pay-per-views and performed really well. And I felt like we came off it with, with great TV and Ring of Honor has done great pay-per-view numbers and now has had great TV, which is a new element. And going into Supercard, I'm really excited about where where all the wrestlers I have under contract, where, they, where as a, on the aggregate, where we stand. I think there's really exciting things happening in AEW and chances to grow AEW and uh, become a bigger, better company. And 
take advantage of the market conditions where there's real opportunities for a challenger brand with the level of world-class wrestlers, world-class production and big wrestling matches that AEW has, but also now Ring of Honor is a stronger promotion through the partnership and the ownership. And I'm able to present pay-per-views like Supercard now, where I think this could be the best pay-per-view we've done yet for Ring of Honor, which is frankly saying something because uh, so much of the DNA of these pay-per-views has been FTR and the Briscoes. This will be the first one that I have done that did not have Jay and Mark Briscoe versus FTR. And frankly, FTR and Jay are not on it. So I've only got one of the four yet. I feel like by doing so many things to strengthen the roster and take advantage of the synergies and and do things to elevate people where we can get the best, you know, I can't give everybody every single opportunity, but I'm trying to get the most people the right opportunities. And I think it's going really well right now. So um, I'm really excited for Supercard and everything going forward. Uh, and I want to continue to, to grow the company and have a balance between locker room health and growth. And a lot of times you can do both. And overall, I think it has been a lot of the successes of AEW and the new Ring of Honor is we have a lot of great wrestlers and um, I have to continue to find the balance between the health of the box office and the strength of the locker room. And frankly, I think both things are in a good place right now and I want to keep it that way by continuing to do great shows and hopefully keep pleasing the most important people to please, which are the wrestling fans and our network bosses and continue to create more opportunities for the wrestlers of AEW and the fans of AEW and now the wrestlers of ROH and the fans of ROH. Uh, so I've learned a lot and continue to learn a lot. And uh, it's a challenging job. They don't really write a book on it. And I, I think the best explanation I can give of it, I've given it you know, publicly and privately and say it a lot, is that it's probably the closest thing. And you say it to people in the TV business and they probably have a closer understanding of both these worlds because they're both things that exist in entertainment is it's like being the coach of a football team. And I think somebody could, uh, you could have two different coaches. You could have, uh, Andy Reed or Doug Peterson would might call a completely different game than Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan. And you could take the same players and get different results. And I think all four would do a great job, whether you had Doug Peterson, Andy Reid, Sean McVay, or Kyle Shanahan, but they all might do different stuff. And Sean might do some stuff more similar to Kyle and Doug might do some stuff more similar to Andy, but uh, they are all going to give you great results, but you might see completely different plays and completely different situations in the exact same down distances and defensive looks. And I think they have, they're all have a great command of the locker room. They're all great people just as examples of offensive minded head football coaches who run football teams. There's only really one other wrestling organization that has the size of TV production or the scope that we operate in. They have been doing it longer and they have more hours of content on TV and have had a lot of advantages and learned a lot. And I think to come into this, uh, we've had a lot of success and I love that we can keep learning from what's happening and, and try to grow in the industry because I think it is an industry that is served very well when there are multiple strong companies. And I, and hopefully that continues to drive a lot of interest in pro wrestling. And for me, I hope it continues to drive a lot of interest in AEW and ROH and running those businesses. It's a little bit like being that, that football coach who has come to come in and you're going to call 
the game as you see it in the style of the stuff you know and you're constantly learning and that's why I know firsthand from working with Doug in the office and being around him and knowing a lot of football coaches having spent many hours in the office like the command he has it's it's for me personally it's the best I've seen and I I am in awe of the way he learns from the different games not that we're not even playing in but he watches the league and the, the his command of understanding why people do things and and soaking up that knowledge and then trying to apply things that aren't even happening in the Jaguars. And I think that in the world of wrestling, uh, you know, you, whether it's happening in AEW, ROH, or outside, try to learn from it. And, and that definitely includes stuff that's happened here. Um, and also try to do what's best for the organization. And he's also a top at that. But Doug calling the game, he might call something completely different from what somebody else would call in that situation, but they're both great. And I also believe there's similar, there's very few people that have been in the position that the, the top coaches have been in, but there's also very few people that have the command or the respect or the understanding to do all the various things that the coach does as the CEO. It's like a hybrid of being a coach of a team and the producer of a Broadway musical. When you deal with live live productions, you're putting on live shows, you have a, ca- a cast of characters, a wild cast, but they're athletes. It's not, it, it's a different kind of uh, sports fuel and that's why I compare it almost a hybrid of the two jobs because, you know, sometimes you have to put the understudy in, but that's like the backup in football, but there's definitely entertainment elements of it with a cast of characters. It's a little bit different from running a football team, but I've tried to learn from what's happened over the years and, and make the shows better. And I, you know, I think uh, most of all, the reason it's been a business success is wrestling fans are awesome. And there are so many of them in the world and we've been able to, create awareness in this big market of AEW and create a company that's performed on live events and pay-per-views and all these benchmarks and continues to hit these benchmarks better than any wrestling company in over two decades and even stronger than the strongest challenger brand of all time that was the ultimate challenger brand that lived the dream and you know famously for 83 weeks they were the number one company and that was WCW and all the strengths and highs they hit but the fact is that one year after the 83 week streak, we're doing better pay-per-view numbers than they were. And so it's about sustaining it and being here today. And that's where I'm very excited about the opportunity I have to continue presenting AEW events and this ROH pay-per-view and, and hopefully learn from everything. So thanks Brandon for asking that. And hopefully I was able to give a nuanced answer, even if I didn't answer everything specifically, you might've wanted. And I got here to this place riding a wave, riding the backs of smart, passionate, professional wrestling fans like you. Boo me, cheer me, love me, hate me. You all do it because you know I'm right. 
You know what David Zasloff calls me? One Bill Phil. That's because I am the one true, genuine article in a business full of counterfeit bucks. I've grown older and wiser in my years. Sometimes it's better to be the bigger man. If you feel you're here today and I owe you an apology, here it is. I am sorry that the only people softer than you are the wrestlers you like. Tell me when I'm telling lies. But until there is somebody in this company that can fill these boots, they belong on my feet. Tell me when I'm telling lies. Uh, it's, hey, Brandon. Look, looks like All In is going to be a, among the highest attendances ever, uh, maybe both in, in terms of paid attendance and total attendance. And as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of controversy around the two shows, at least that, that you're in the neighborhood of now, WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 32. I was, I was wondering if you would be willing after the, sh- the show is done and all, all the tickets are sold, if it does set the record, would you be willing to make the ticket audit or other records available to the media just to, to minimize the controversy that it, it feels like is going to be inevitable after the show? I am not sure. I've never been in that Muted. before. Uh, so uh, what would WWE, I'm sorry to follow up my question with a question. Brandon, what would WWE do in my position? Unmuted. They they would put out a press, re- press release and uh, with, with a number that may include uh, ushers and ticket takers and personnel and things like that. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet, but I've never, but it's fun being in this position for the first time ever. So I'm just wondering. Uh, well, I'll. Muted. I'll have to uh, take it all into account and uh, we'll definitely be doing a very thorough audit of the building. And uh, I will uh, get you guys as best as I can an accurate number as I always do. And um, I've never been in that particular position before to, to do that math. So uh, I look forward to uh, uh, announcing an accurate number and uh, I'm not sure how long it'll take us to come up with it, but I'm, but I'm very excited uh to have a good number for you guys on Sunday. And hopefully it'll be a historic number that we can all get excited about. But honestly, whether, you know, uh, wherever it falls, I think it's going to fall certainly is one of the most successful events ever. And, uh, you know, um, it's not about really nickel and diming. I think it's about packing the stadium, which we have done. And uh, it's a very, very important milestone for us. So I'm, I'm, I'm very pumped up for it wherever it falls. Thanks, Brandon. What a night! Because tonight we're going to thank you, 81,035 fans! Tonight we make a new worldwide record in pro wrestling! Hey, attendance! 
here's the turnstile count for AW All In, which is 72,265. So where is this coming from? This is coming from the local government in the borough of Brent. What is the borough of Brent? The borough that Wembley Stadium is located in. So they responded and said the actual numbers registered entering Wembley Stadium through the turnstiles was 72,265. This is reflective of what attended on the night and not the total number of tickets sold or no-shows. Of course, AEW announced tickets sold paid attendance on the broadcast and in a press release, 81,035, 81,035. And again, turnstile count, 72,265. So, uh, Will Ospreay has gotten the uh, the paid attendance tattooed on his arm. Uh, He posted a video, I think, later that night after I reported this uh, about how upset he was. Moral of the story here, at least as concerns his his, uh, tattoo. I can't dispute that this was the number of tickets sold, this 81,000 number. I don't have information here necessarily undermining that. We have the tickets distributed that WrestleTix put out, which was 83,131. I'm told that's pretty close to accurate in that range of 83,000, as WrestleTix estimated. And I helped WrestleTix make the estimate, looking at a number of photos and whatnot. We went through all these photos of Wembley Stadium and the ticketing maps and tried to figure out where the kills were based on the photos of of the event itself, drew all kinds of numbers on photos. So if we take this 72,265 number, and by the way, what does this mean? It's a drop count, also called a turnstile count, also called, what else? Scan count, you might hear it called. This is the number of people, according to the Brent Civic Center, this is the number of people who actually entered the building for this event all in. 2023. So 72,265. Now, what about the suites is always the wild card question. Well, according to Wembley Stadium's website, they have with over 160 to choose from, Wembley Stadium offers yada yada. It caters up to just eight to 20 people. So let's say there's 160 suites. Let's max it out and say up to 20 people. Let's multiply 160 by 20. That, according to my sources, is 3,200. What can we stack on top of this turnstile count at the absolute most? Let's pretend the suites were at maximum capacity. Real people were really there. That tax on certainly something less than 3,200. So let's just add 3,200 to the turnstile count of 72,265. We can get up to just over 75,000. 75,465 is less than 80,709. Why is that number significant? That is actually is the turnstile account of WrestleMania 32, according to the Arlington police. Who knows if that includes suites? Let's say uh, it includes every suite attendee. Let's say it does. Well, it's still greater than what the all-in turnstile count was. Number of tickets sold all-in, 81,000, is in the range of what's implied in the KPIs for WWE where they put out their averages with and without WrestleMania for that quarter, somewhere between 74,000 and 86,000. All in is right in the middle of that range. It's really close, a little bit higher than the middle of that range. So we can say there were more people in the stadium at WrestleMania 32 than there were in the stadium at all in 2023. Tickets sold. Which event sold more tickets? Don't know. One of the, the key questions here is that, I mean, that's, that's quite a big discrepancy, at least on, on the surface, between 72,265, which again is the all-in drop count, and their announced paid attendance, which I think we should really call tickets sold, 81,035, that is 
something like a 9,000 difference. So at least of the 81,000 tickets that were bought, almost 11% of them didn't show up. Is that normal? Well, I've only really got a few other examples that I'm super confident in the numbers of to compare it to. We have WrestleMania 37, which was the COVID WrestleMania with the half capacity. It's in the middle of COVID. The no-show rate was pretty similar to All In. It was 11% for day one, and it was 10% for day two. Pretty similar to All In. Now, maybe COVID is a big factor here in people being hesitant to go to the event that that resulted in a higher no-show rate. And I only have two other examples besides that. So we have the first AEW House Rules house show, which was in March of this year, and that had a no-show rate of 5%. And then we have another stadium show, at least, but it's a WWE show. W Royal Rumble in San Antonio Alamodome had a just 4% no-show rate, quite a bit lower than All In. I've been assured that this is a real number, this ticket sold number, and I'm told that this is a normal no-show rate for an AEW show. Ideally, I would like to see maybe some other AEW pay-per-view event data to say you know, what is the no-show rate of a typical AEW pay-per-view, I guess would be the closest comparison. So maybe secondary market sales have something to do with this, if that's correct, that it's harder to sell tickets on the secondary market in the UK versus US in any case. What I would like is more record. What I would like, number one, is the ticket report for this event, which I did ask Tony about on the media call leading up to this event. He said that, rather than answering the question, he said that they would announce an accurate number, and they ended up announcing the ticket sold. And I can see why you would want to announce the ticket sold. This is the, the number that reflects the actual business that this live event did in terms of selling tickets. Is Will Ospreay going to get another number on his tattoo, or what's he going to do? Sorry, Will. I didn't mean to ruin your, your tattoo. It is your fault, so what I would like is, yeah, first of all, it would be nice if we could get the ticket report so we would have all of the data that goes into calculating whatever these real numbers were, which at least with the ticket sold, we would have. It would be nice to have a ticket report to enhance the confidence that, that 81,035 is a real number. And I would like to see the drop count versus tickets sold for other AEW events to support the notion that I've been told that that's a normal ratio. And we only have a few examples of that to look at. We do have a lot of tickets sold numbers through Polestar. We don't have drop counts to correspond with them unfortunately twitter x it's incredible but in wrestling in particular this one platform x it is amazing how much time is spent in the industry on it and it sometimes becomes what i've seen is sometimes a bit of an echo chamber and also there's a lot of uh bad faith there's a lot of bad faith posting on it and uh you can have a great day in the business like do the number one show and people try and tell you you didn't do something great or you can break the world record for the most tickets ever sold to any wrestling show ever and have this massive huge success on pay-per-view and just hit a home run and the wrestling's great and everything's great and still people are trying to tell you there's some problem with it or some detrimental i have news for you when people the drop count of the show when people posted uh the number of people that go through the turnstiles i've never heard of somebody posting a turnstile count with which is not like there's so many ways to get into a show and there's so many people i talked to that went were that bought tickets that did not have to go through the turnstiles but take that aside for a second the turnstile count that is so normal for north american pro sports even if it was 73 out of 81 that would be over the average of a sh- of show rate for north american pro sports so if you take the average like big four pro sports game in America versus like the tickets purchased and then the people who actually go through the gate, people would talk like that was abnormal or it's like. And so, again, to be AEW, no matter how good you do, there will be people coming for you, gunning for you, because that's what this is. There's a reason that every single person who stepped into my position until now has gone out of business. I'm the only one left. Everybody who has stepped up and put millions of dollars into this 
and done it week after week. And there's no off season. You do it 52 weeks a year. It's a fight. And, and that's a credit to the fans. I know what it is to be a wrestling fan 52 weeks a year. It's hard. And like, but it's also the most rewarding thing. That's why you can't get away from it for too long. That's why we always come back to it. We're addicted. And it's worth the fight. And I love the fight. And I'm never going to stop fighting it. No matter what happens, uh, no matter how things change, it's worth it. It's the fight Jim Crockett fought and Vern Gagne and uh, Ted Turner and so many other people that have tried and God bless them all. And uh, I'm doing this for all of you. And I know uh, all of you are here in spirit. So uh, thank you very much. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. this is right here? And then crushing. Real glass. Crushing the abdomen. Go cry me a river. Going to turn things around. Hook. Uh-oh. Today I had to make one of the toughest decisions of my professional career. Today I terminated Phil Brooks, CM Punk, for cause. This stems from a backstage incident at AEW All In last Sunday. The incident was regrettable and it endangered people backstage. That includes the production staff, the people who helped put the show on every week, innocent people who had nothing to do with it. I've been going to wrestling shows for over 30 years. I've been producing them on this network for nearly four years. Never in all that time have I ever felt until last Sunday that my security, my safety, my life was in danger at a wrestling show. I don't think anybody should feel that way at work. I don't think the people I work with should feel that way. And I had to make a very difficult choice today. It came at the recommendation of a discipline committee here in AEW, as well as outside legal counsel who delivered a unanimous recommendation. And I have followed up on that recommendation. I'm sorry to any fans who are upset by this. I'm sorry to anyone who's upset by this. Despite that, we're gonna have a great show tonight on Collision, and we're gonna have a great AEW All Out pay-per-view tomorrow here in Chicago. Last weekend was the greatest weekend in AEW history. This is the greatest week in AEW history. We're gonna continue the great momentum here tonight on Collision and tomorrow night on All Out Pay-Per-View.
and I couldn't call it all in without possibly getting sued by Ring of Honor, which I now own. I, I came here to talk to you from the bottom of my heart because today I had to do one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, and sitting here right now is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I'm sure everybody knows what, uh, at this point what I'm going to say, I, but, but I think it's important that I come out here and talk to you about it before Collision and All Out this weekend because I really respect all of you. I'm a wrestling fan like you, and if I were in your shoes, I could totally understand how a lot of you feel one way or the other, but I just want to tell you uh, I'm out here because I had to do something I did not want to do today. I'm very, I'm very sorry to fans or anybody who's upset by it. This week we conducted an investigation independent of me. I have a discipline committee in AEW uh, that is independent and it's uh, comprised the majority of lawyers. And I also brought in outside legal counsel. I hired independent lawyers to investigate this and make a recommendation. Everything I've ever been involved in in sports or wrestling, it was very, uh, very tough. When I met them, the unanimous recommendation was the action that I took. The action that I took came as a result of this investigation, but I have to say it stems from an incident backstage last weekend at AEW All In London. I've been going to wrestling shows like you for over 30 years, and the first one I ever went to was with my dad, who's here tonight, downstate in Champaign, Illinois. We thank you, Dad, because without him, none of this would be possible, because he's a hugely on-dream that became AEW, and that's why we're here. He, everything I know about business, I learned from him. He's a family businessman, Mr. Family Business. And I care about the people who work here. That's the production staff, that's everybody that works here. The wrestlers, but also people you don't think about every day that make this show happen. What, I've been going to wrestling shows for over 30 years as a fan, and I've been producing them on TNT here for almost four years now. And this is the first time, this incident, that I have ever feared for my safety at a wrestling show, that I have ever feared for my life at a wrestling show, or that I have ever feared for the safety of the people who work backstage, the production staff. I'm sorry, but they don't come here, they don't work here to be put in danger. The people who work on the production recently should not come to work and worry about, am I going to get hurt or worse? There should be 50-year-old people with artificial joints worrying, am I going to get hurt for coming to work every single week? I'm sorry, I can't have that, and I won't have that, and that's why I made a very tough choice. There's no place in the world, this is literally the last place in the world, literally the United Center, that I would want to tell you this, but... No. 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 And if you want to look... First and foremost, the, 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 the recommendation was from the committee, but the decision was mine. I'm sorry for anybody who's upset, but I want you to know that I know you're all here tonight because you love professional wrestling. This company is a lot better than professional wrestling, and I know there's wrestlers here that every single one of you care about. They're all going to work very hard to put on a great episode of Collision for you here tonight. I promise to put a great all-out on for you because we've been doing all-out here for years. And I want to keep 
keep it in Chicago forever. It means a lot. I love this, I love this town. I love this state. I love so many people here, including my family and so many of you. I love pro wrestling. I love doing this every week. Thank you for being here tonight. I'm sorry if I disappointed you, but not whichever my intent, but I did what I had to do for the people that work here. I love you very much. Thank you for being here. We have a breaking news from the world of Fox, Rupert Murdoch, the Rupert yes. Murdoch era coming to an end. And it's we over. are going to dissect it from all angles. Uh, Michael Wolf of a famed uh, reporter has a big book on Fox coming out next week. I mean, mm. what, what, what great timing uh, for, for this news. But 92 man. years old. It was a great run for Rupert. It, it was. Yes. And, and with Rupert Murdoch uh, leaving Fox, he said, you know what? Rupert era is over. So is our era of pro wrestling. We tried right. this thing for, for five years. It, it, it's done. So quite the day for Fox as we got, I would say, a, a fairly surprising uh, news item. Uh, first reported, I believe, by John Oran, but then officially coming out through a TKO and uh, various other outlets that WWE SmackDown will be returning to the USA Network in a five-year deal that will uh, begin uh, next year when... The current deal with Fox expires and will also include four primetime specials on NBC. And we can go through all of the details, but I would say let's start just at the idea that SmackDown moving to USA Network was not one of the options that seemed to be floated out there. We were hearing Amazon. We were hearing Disney. Uh, Would Fox make uh, some last ditch uh, pitch? But WWE was coming at it from the side that we know what the market expectations were. And it would seem based on, you know, the, the reported figures, uh, wall street has not reacted well to this news. And, and this is just the slice of the pie that is SmackDown. We do not have deals for raw and NXT to report. Right. I, I guess it doesn't bode well for the rest of the deal. Um, it looks like raw is going to the open market. There's a bit of, I would say contradicting reporting uh, happening here. The Hollywood Reporter making it sound like it's unlikely that Raw stays on the USA Network where it's been for most of its history. Um, And then there's John O'Ran saying that NBCU is still the front runner for Raw. Um, So I I would lean slightly towards Raw not staying with NBCU. Um, The press release says that, you know, those basic pretty clear that those deals for raw and actually for nxt are both set to expire october 2024 which the nxt piece which is minor but the nxt piece is news to me because last i knew on the record nxt was set to expire the end of this month in in, in like eight days from now um did, did but, we get a quiet coterminous extension for nxt brandon i I think those deals for NXT and, and Raw may now be coterminous um, w- with everything. All, all three shows set to expire October 2024. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's only a 1.4x increase. Uh, NBCU, or I'm sorry, uh, CNBC, which is a, an arm of NBCU, is reporting that the average annual value for this deal for SmackDown is 287 thousand dollars two hundred and eighty seven thousand dollars and how does that compare to their current deal that's 
their current deal for SmackDown on Fox is for two hundred and five dollars, uh, two hundred five million dollars, two hundred eighty seven million dollars. He's two hundred eighty thousand dollars, which I think the Excuse stock me. would be in free Thank fall you. if they were renewing for a six figure deal. Thank you. And so it's a is it that's exactly a one point four x increase. So I, I I don't know if they're just multiplying 1.4 times 205 million and just getting that 287,000, 287 million dollar number there. But um, yeah, it's so raw is at 265 million. Um, I would, you know, I guess that's the baseline for expectation of, of whatever raw gets. And it just leaves a lot of questions about where, who are the other potential bidders here? And uh, John O'Ran has said, you know, just things we've heard already, uh, Disney and Amazon. We, we look into like, what are the other players here? And is NBC Universal, like how much are they committed here? Because this is a, a very small increase over what they have been, the average annual value for Raw, but it is for one, in theory, one less hour uh, that SmackDown is, which is another option to this. Like they are not even, they are confirming this will be Friday nights. But are they? They have. I mean, in all of the, like Nick Khan has stated Friday nights and it sounds like they are staying on Friday nights. We assume it's a two hour format, but they do not have the same restrictions as they did on Fox. If they were to entertain a third hour, whether it is with this deal or down the road, like it was it was not WWE that came to USA asking for a third hour. It was vice versa. And you would certainly think that that's had to have been somewhat and NBC Universal has been a tremendous partner for WWE for decades Nikon said we are excited to extend this long-standing relationship by bringing Smackdown to USA Network on Friday nights and look forward to debuting multiple WWE special events annually on NBC which is something we haven't mentioned yet four times a year they're going to get a special on the NBC broadcast network which was the same deal well like when they returned to USA in 2005, this was after the uh, the five years on Spike, they returned to the USA Network. And part of that deal was because they were left out in the cold, they made this deal with USA, gave up their stake in the ad share, but it also did come with these four NBC specials and they revived Saturday night's main event. And these did not do all that well no. on Saturday nights, and they quickly moved them. They're like these committed lie, uh, NBC specials became the tribute to the troops, and uh, you know, battle of the belts very much, right? Yeah, I mean, this was granted 15 years ago, but yeah, th- these are not I, I very wonder successful. if they are going to be separate telecasts on a separate night, or if we're just talking about something that Nikon has talked about in, on TMT conferences is that it could be a simulcast. He clearly wanted some sort of simulcast like we've seen in, in other sports. I know everybody's familiar with, with what happens with Monday Night Football, but it has happened in, in other sports and other kinds of live telecasts as well. So so maybe that's a, a simulcast on USA Network and NBC, or maybe it is something different, but it's it's not clear from the press release or the information we have now. As far as the raw deal getting done, maybe it, this won't get done until an NBA deal is done um, because NBC probably wants... NBA rights probably will get them. According to Nick, he's hearing rumblings uh, when he was appearing on the Bill Simmons podcast. He said he heard rumblings that there were uh, discussions about having uh, WBD split one of their nights of NBA games off with NBC. Maybe that ends up on the UC network. So that's a Tuesday or Thursday and WBD continuing to produce those games. Um, So anyway, the the NBA games, the regular season and and all, all those rights are up for renewal being renegotiated now and maybe that 
big deal, which is a much, much bigger deal than WWE has to get done before the the budgets and the schedules are set in place. And we see where, where WWE goes, which will be a lower priority than the NBA for ratings reasons, obviously. When you're looking at it from the WWE side, like here you have the balance of what wall street is, is expecting for SmackDown and you're balancing this with how much reach you can have at the same time. Like you would think that if talks were deep with, with Amazon and you know, are, are you looking at this that you're going for the pure value that is out there, the highest bidder wins? Like how are you balancing a, a streaming option versus let's say network is not in the question anymore with Fox gone and cable, which certainly has, it's a shaky ground of like, where is cable going to be five years from now? Um, Like, how are you balancing this? And do you feel this was a compromise worth making if, if we're theorizing that Amazon might've had a richer offer, but not enough to make the leap now? Right. Or even for Amazon, why would you bid that strongly? I guess for, for this property, Fox is not Fox is not a bit, a bit aggressively for this reportedly, and that aligns with everything else that's happened here. Um, maybe they were willing to give them a small increase, right? But certainly not even one point four. So, but if you're if you're Amazon, it's not like Amazon has fulfilled or Apple for that matter have fulfilled the prophecy of the tech players are coming and they're going to keep sports rights sustained and, and super strong and super competitive. That's not really happened, you know. At least in the U.S., what does Amazon have? They have the NFL. Um, Apple has some baseball. Apple has some MLS. They haven't come out here and really run up the price for this content, um, despite them having huge pockets. They're the richest companies in the world. They can certainly afford this, but they're being patient and not investing swiftly in, into live sports. Um, so, but, but as far as reach, right? USA is probably in a little over 70 million homes. Amazon Prime Video is, pro- is there's probably more households. I venture to guess there's more households in this country with Prime with Amazon Prime memberships than there are homes that have access to the USA Network. That being said, Amazon Prime Video is a small sliver of of the Nielsen Gauge donut chart that they put out. Uh, they just put one out yesterday, I think. So you can, you can look at it. it's it's a few percent. It's not even as as watched as Netflix is or as Hulu is. So in that sense, I'd rather have, if I'm WWE, I'd rather have one of my shows on Hulu, if it's going to stream live on Hulu or even Netflix than Amazon. Um, as far as reach, if we're just talking about reach. Um, because if, you know, if, if Raw goes to Amazon Prime Video, it's going to get, I don't know, like half the viewership that it's getting now. And that's going to have some effect on your other businesses and, and on your uh, ticket sales and on your merchandise sales and, and on, you know, your the flywheel of getting everybody to consume all the WWE content that you want them to consume. Um, but maybe there's also a sh- an, an element, there's money, there's reach, and maybe there's a strategic element, too, of putting raw on Amazon in that if you have a relationship with Amazon, then you can make them a bidder for the Peacock content that you have there and maybe make that bidding process more competitive when those rights are up. Um, but yes, I think if you're WWE, the prospect of moving raw to Amazon prime has to come with more money than a cable player. If all, all things are equal, right? Because you're losing some reach and you're losing some value there. You're losing the ability to, to be in touch with viewers 
to the degree that you are with cable, even though cable is in the decline. You know, th- those those uh, those respective abilities to reach viewers, they're they're getting closer and closer over time. They will continue to, but for now, cable is still able to reach viewers more so than a major streaming service like Prime Video is. This is a lower deal. And in in the in the stock analyst reports, you know, we saw Morgan Stanley thinking, you know, maybe 1.8x is is realistic to think about. Um, at the time, I, I agreed with that. Um, so this is under what Morgan Stanley, for one, had said was its base case of 1.5x. This is 1.4 for one of these properties. Um, I think maybe it indicates a little bit about the gradual plateauing that we're approaching for live sports. Um, that doesn't say anything for AEW. WB got a disappointing deal. What does this mean for AEW? Mean for AEW. Is this, is this the death knell for AEW? I think that this ultimately will be like, again, the, the big cloud over all this is these NBA rights. And I think once they yeah. sort themselves out, we know then where, where, uh, where Warner brothers discovery is like, what is, is their position? What is their involvement with these NBA rights and how much wrestling is figured into their programming schedule? Like if, you know, r- wrestling will not dictate what they're what they're doing with their NBA rights, and I think it's it's more so when one gets figured out, then it is uh, the the wrestling that benefits. But I would state that if this this deal is an indicator, it's that you know WWE underperformed in the SmackDown deal, and you would have to think that AEW is in a less advantageous position because how many bidders are going to be at at the table for uh, potentially? Uh, five hours of original programming from AEW, uh, the non-dominant leader in, in, in the space. The difference with AEW is that it's in its first, it's currently in its first long-term deal, right? They had this like three month deal that was at the the very beginning. And then they got renewed January, 2020 um, for, for at least, at least for dynamite and rampage. We know they were getting, they're getting about $45 million per year, for Dynamite and for Rampage. I think they're probably up to like 70 now with the inclusion of Collision. But if we think about, let's just think about Dynamite, it's 45 million. Um, that's about half of what Raw is delivering, let's say. It's close to half, right? But they're getting, you know, two, Raw is getting 265, which is what, like five times what Dynamite is getting? So we're talking about, you know, Raw is doing double the viewership of Dynamite, but getting five times the money of Dynamite. Now, maybe it's, it's not just all about viewership, certainly. It's a large piece of it is viewership. But you know, you've got a WWE brand, and that, that's a really big deal, and they have this huge global reach, and maybe there's, there's synergy value there too. But still, we're talking twice the viewership, but five times the money. That, that gap has got to get a little bit closer, and it's probably still a big enough gap for AEW to get a good enough deal so that it at least becomes profitable in the next cycle. Thank you. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, after deciding on passing on the WWE renewal, can you share anything specific on how you evaluated the ROI of the deal in the context of driving higher advertising and affiliate fee revenue? And then maybe just more broadly, can you discuss whether you expect to see any impact on future sports rights negotiations if the Disney charter renewal impacts the industry rate of cord cutting or affiliate fee growth going forward? Thank you. Hey, good morning, Rob. Um, there's a lot in there, so I'll let me I'll let me unpack it uh, uh, bit by bit, and if I, uh, 
I hope I don't miss anything. So, uh, you know, how we, I think we've talked about this before, but how we analyze the WWE uh, renewal. Um, and, 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 you know, we, we look at, you know, all, all of our sports uh, uh, portfolio in, in the same way and on, on all new rights, uh, opportunities to acquire new rights in the same way. Um, we, you know, on the basis of that, that uh, analy- analyst uh, uh, analysis, sorry, um, uh, we, you know, on both an advertising point of view, we, we were not hitting um, the advertising numbers due to the audience of the WWE uh, to make uh, 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 to, to, re- to return uh, for our return on investment to, to, to be above the levels that we would accept, but also we did, didn't attribute enough um, um, uh, significant uh, uh, retransmission revenue uh, to the WWE either. So it made uh, sense for us to move on from them. They've, they've been a great partner uh, for, for many years, um, but just quite simply, we're very disciplined, and the RR didn't meet our um, our uh, uh, you know, pretty disciplined uh, uh, parameters. So, uh, so we wish them luck, and, and we moved on from them. NXT is going to to the CW network. It's, so it's a as you said, seventy percent increase over their current average annual value. We've got Deadline saying fifteen million. We've got Sports Business Journal's John Orand reporting thirty to fifty million average annual value. I don't think that's right. 15 million sounds pretty believable to me. And I've asked around. I, I even emailed John O'Ran himself. He said he was going to look into it more. This is something that's been, a, that's been a curiosity since NXT really has been on the USA Network going way back to, uh, you know, obviously October 2019. And when the deal was first announced, when they first made that move at the beginning of the Wednesday Night War, uh, there was a question to George Berrios on an earnings call saying, does, does this, because you've, you're taking this, program from being on your own network where you weren't getting paid for it obviously there was there's no peacock even at the time you're taking it off your own network and putting it onto the usa network does this contribute because I, I was looking through the archives today ben swinburne the morgan stanley analyst asked george barrios if the, the move of nxt to the usa network was a meaningful contributor to profitability george barrios sort of just didn't didn't answer the question and uh said that they're they're doing this for the future which reads to me like an indirect way to say, no, this is not a big money deal. This is not a major contributor to uh, profitability. Um, so that was that was deal one. And I, I did I did this graphic, if I can show it on the screen here. So we're, we're on to what we're in currently is is the second extension of of a deal between NXT and, and USA. So they got one extension that was announced in March of 2021 and would have began October, 2021. Was that a meaningful increase? Well, an analyst asked Christina Salen, who by that time was the CFO of WWE and, and asked if, you know, does this, does this mean that much to EBITDA to, to profitability because you got this new deal here? Um, basically under the impression that, you know, before the, the first uh, term was not a huge money deal. Does this renewal, this extension mean that this is a big increase? And uh, she said it wasn't really a big difference to profitability. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and then we we were under the impression as of uh, their, I believe their Q4 report, which came out in February of this year, where they said that one of the meaningful uh, one of the the issues of significance on the horizon is that NXT has to be renewed. So NXT's second extension, I believe, expired just a little while ago, like early October or late September. 
And apparently, I mean, they're still on the air, so they must have made some sort of extension. Was that an upgrade in money? I don't know. Maybe it, it could have been. I don't have you know a quote in front of me to, to tell me that that it was a small uh, financial deal. Um, could have been bigger, but the, the fifteen million dollars sounds pretty believable to me. Um, fifteen times one point seven, according to my sources, is twenty five and a half. I don't want to say insignificant, but in the grand scheme of things, like fairly insignificant. If we're talking about at a point where even if like 15 million a year, like think about that. That's a couple of weeks of raw uh, in comparison. Yeah. Like this is a drop in the bucket in terms of what they're being paid. Like you could certainly look at is NXT even uh, profitable off of such a, a little amount if we're to separate this from its core, the WWE's core business. I mean, this has other values, but as a standalone, I mean, at 15 million a year, this is like that we're talking like almost 30 million less than what AEW is commanding. Right. And it's only a two hour program. When we look at AEW, AEW, we're talking about at this point, five hours of mm-hmm. weekly content. Um, but this is, I mean, what, what does this say about, you know, NXT? I mean, if we're talking about what the expenses are, are we talking about the entire performance center? And, and, and maybe that ha- really has an R and D value, but are they, so I guess one, one question we could say is if, if this is worth about two, a $26 million average annual value, are they spending less than $26 million on NXT performance center all in maybe. Um, so it, in, can we call this like, Hey, is this a big success? Because they went from, this was a, an NXT show that was on the network and it was just something that was costing them money. And they're running some very small uh, house shows <laughs> touring around Florida. Um, I, I would say this is a, a success that they've gone from something that was generating relatively no revenue to something that is that is generating some meaningful revenue if, if they are making as much as 26 million dollars and the and the larger basis would indicate more but i don't think that's the case but 26 million is decent i mean i view this this deal very very positively i guess it's just looking at like the the, the usa uh contract itself but it got them to this point and maybe there's a bit of a blind spot we had towards cw network and when you look at how aggressively they have been towards uh sports programming um may, maybe not so surprising that they were in the mix here. This was one of those um, sort of lightning in a bottle moments that came together very quickly. Um, but we are incredibly excited about it. You know, it's been a long time and um, in some ways been a long time coming. You know, you could say this about CM Punk. Love him, hate him, positive, negative, whatever you want to say. People talk about him. All the time. Um, he is a, a magnet for that. He's a conversation starter. Um, and it's tough to look past that. And for me, 
if if our fans want it, if the WWE Universe is excited to have it, then let's go. And we'll figure out the rest of it from there. Um, this came together super quick, um, which I'm sure is why it stayed very tight. You know, there's a lot of speculation at that point. It was nothing but speculation. For most of the time, it was speculation. It didn't really start to come to fruition until everybody stopped thinking it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, it was happening. Um, but um, extremely excited, you know, a lot of time has gone by, almost 10 years, right? And if you are the same person you were 10 years ago, 10 years later, you've messed up. Everybody grows. Everybody changes. Um, and I'm a different person. He's a different person. Um, this is a different company. And we're all, uh, we're all on, a, on, a, on the same even starting ground. We'll see if Paul Levesque can manage to, to avoid CM Punk becoming a problem in terms of cooperation with other talent, in terms of any effect he may have on morale. Whatever the outcome of that will naturally be compared to what happened in AEW. If he's able to manage Phil Brooks so that he behaves with everybody, gets along with everybody, big win for Paul Levesque. And it makes AEW look like, well, they just didn't have the management and the leadership that could handle that. WWE comes off this show, I think, looking much, much different than it did, let's say, a year and a half ago, a year ago, where I think it was completely the other way around. We could we could describe one promotion today as having a lot of challenges, and there's you know it's a promoter and a booker who's you know there's a lot of criticism about his vision of what his pro wrestling style is, and uh, you can look at some of his comments and say, well, he's being, he's kind of getting out of touch with uh, with the fans here. He's insulting the fans, arguably saying, put your money where your mouth is, uh, maybe even alienating a lot of talent. There's a lot of Vince McMahon influence in this product. There's a lot of aging wrestlers here. There's a lot of people who are maybe not necessarily contributing in a net positive way to the company, but they're, they're careerists who are making sure that their jobs are justified and they're going to keep their jobs and work with people that they want to work with. And you have another company. Their attendance is up. Their TV ratings are up. The other company, their TV ratings are down. Their attendance is down. And this other company, they seem to be actually in touch with what modern wrestling fans want. Whether or not we individually agree with that, Judging by the increase in TV ratings, increase in attendances, they're built around, in part, an extremely well-protected world champion. Uh, they have a leader of their company who you know, many people have criticized, but he's trying to give fans, according to him, what they want. And WWE just feels like the cool promotion, which is, I think, a terrible place for AEW to be. AEW was the solution to a WWE problem. And WWE has since largely resolved that problem. And AEW has emerged in its growing pains to develop some problems of its own. That doesn't mean AEW is going to go out of business. We're not going to get a good TV renewal. It's not promising in terms of imagining their future being brighter than what it is right now. And I think that's just such a juxtaposition relative to where we were a relatively short time ago.